Well, good to see everybody again. And uh, on Sunday nights, we've been going and looking at Solomon's, what I refer to as his wisdom, his top 30. He said, I give you 30 sayings. And uh, we're going to look in Proverbs 23 and verses 17 and 18 tonight. And uh, here's how it, sounds, how it goes. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. I want to start with that. The first part of it, don't let your heart envy sinners. And somebody might even say, well, how can I not? You know, I see things, I feel things. You know, and we are living in a society that basically is ran by their feelings. Whatever I feel to do, do it. But Jesus had a different approach when he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He was literally saying, do not let your emotions rule you. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but emotions change. They're up, they're down, they're fickled. We can't, we, Jesus said, don't let those rule your life. And we need to base our lives on something that is unchangeable. And that unchangeable thing that we need to base our life on, it's the word of God. And I want to give you a few examples of this from scripture, beginning in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, Peter was with Jesus, James, and John, and Jesus took him up on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured before him. Moses and Elijah show up and are talking with Jesus about the fact he's going to be going to the cross, he's going to die, there's going to be a resurrection. And Peter writes this down. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there was such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So they're up on the mountain. Jesus is there, the three disciples, Moses, Elijah, and a voice comes out of the cloud. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They heard the voice. They saw Jesus' countenance change. They heard and saw Moses and Elijah. The voice which came from heaven, which we heard when we were with him on the holy mountain. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. Now, he said there is something more sure. They had a vision of Moses and Elijah. They saw Jesus' countenance change. They heard a voice from heaven. And he said, there is something more sure than visions, than voices, than angelic appearances, than anything. And he's saying in that more sure thing, that more sure word of prophecy that we need to take heed to, it's the word of God. Doesn't matter what kind of supernatural thing a person experiences, if it doesn't agree with the word of God, throw it out. Just throw it out. I've actually heard people say, well, I'm way beyond that book, talking about the Bible. Well, if you're beyond the Bible, you're beyond God. You're, you're, you're just, you're so far out there. It has to agree with the word. Not every supernatural experience is godly. Not every supernatural experience is from God. 
even in the book of Exodus, when Moses and Aaron are in front of Pharaoh, they throw down their rod, Moses' rod down, it becomes a snake. And then the magicians, Jannies and Jambres, Pharaoh's magicians, they throw down their rods and they also become snakes. Now, was it supernatural? Yes. Was it God? No. And of course, Moses' snake ate up their snakes, which is a type of Jesus eating up your sin. But there was something supernatural that happened that wasn't God. And so often today, anything that's supernatural, people think it's God. It's not. In Isaiah 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they don't speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. Matthew 24, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. He said, but my word will never pass away. Jerem, excuse me, Psalms 138, verse 2, you have magnified your word above all your name. In other words, what God is saying, he said, I have, I have taken and I have set my word above my name. If I don't do my word, I am not who I say that I am. In Jeremiah 1.12, God says, I will watch over my word to perform it. Now, honestly, for the most part, our emotions are a result of our thoughts. You think the right thoughts, the right emotions come. If you don't think the right thoughts, the wrong emotions come. Of course, Elijah the prophet, the great example, he calls down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, kills the 450 false prophets. The wicked king sends word, by tomorrow this time you're going to be dead. The Bible says when he saw that. When he saw that. When he began to think and see what she said take place, he turned and ran into the desert and missed the will of God. Now, negative thoughts move you in the wrong direction. Godly thoughts move you in the right direction. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think, meditate on these things. So the thing that we need to base our life on is we need to base our life on the word of God. There's supernatural things that take place that are of God. There's supernatural things that take place that are not of God. But let me just say this. When the supernatural of the enemy encounters the supernatural of God, the enemy always ends up with the short stick. He never wins. Moses serpent ate the other serpents. Uh, I remember listening to Lester Summerall a number of years ago. He told the story. He uh, actually is a, still a teenager, took off with about a dollar in his pocket to travel around the world. And he was in the island of Java. He was preaching and he met a man who told him a very, very interesting story. The man was a pastor of a church. And the man said that in their village, that a, a young Dutch missionary girl came, rented a little, little hut, and started preaching the gospel. Well, after she had been there for a while, she got a knock on the door. And when she answered the door, there was a short, skinny, bony man there. And he stuck his finger in her face and said, you have to leave. And she says, well, well why? I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving. I, I, I'm here to preach the gospel that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, and Jesus delivers. 
And the man said, well, I am the witch doctor here. And there is not enough room for both of us. And I do all the delivering and all the healing here. And you cannot stay. And she says, well, I'm not leaving. She says, I'm here preaching. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers. And Jesus is coming again. And he says, well, if you can't, if you won't leave, he said, then we're going to have to have a contest. And she said, well, fine. Close the door. Didn't think anything of it. Several days later, she gets another knock on the door. And when she opens it, a number of the men from the village are there. And they take her to kind of like the little town square. And there's a little platform that's been built. And on the platform is the witch doctor. And she gets up on the, on the little platform with them and basically says, what is this? And the people said, this is the contest. We want to know who's got the most power. And so the witch doctor said to her, do something. And she said, well, like, I don't know what to do. She said, you do something. She said that was her first mistake. He laid down on the platform and it seemed like he, 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 he turned into like as hard as a rock and he started to float. And she starts to pray. And she says, oh, God, I come to tell these people that you love them, that you want to save them and you want to deliver them. And here I am with floating witch doctors. She says, what do I do? And the Lord seemed to speak to her and said, get him down. And she said, Lord, you get him down. And she felt like the Lord said again, no, you get him down. And she says, well, how? And the Lord said, with your foot. So she just kind of moved over there. He's kind of floating right here. She put her leg up. <laughs> Boom, put him right down. She said, everybody knew the contest was on. And uh, she said, now what, Lord? And the Lord said, tell it to come out. And she looked down and she said, come out in Jesus name guy kind of blinked, sat up, and said, what are we doing here? Now, he had been fasting and praying to the devil for three days for power. And she said, well, I'm here telling these people about Jesus. You've heard about it. I've been telling people. He came. He died. He paid for your sin. He rose again. He's at the right hand of God. And people need to receive him for the forgiveness of sins. Do you want to receive him? And he said, yes, I do. And she led him in a sinner's prayer right there. Laid hands on him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became the pastor of the church. And the whole church, the whole village got saved. When the devil's power meets God's power, the devil always ends up on the short end. In the verse that we're talking about tonight, it says, don't envy sinners. And Asaph, who was actually a very good friend who worked with King David, he was King David's praise and worship leader. He wrote several of the Psalms, Psalms uh, 73 through 81, or through 83, excuse me. And this is what he wrote. I want to read it to you. He said, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are of a pure heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Their eyes bulged with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease 
they increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, I'm looking at people that are doing all the wrong stuff and it seems like everything goes right for them. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You've cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment into, in, and they are utterly consumed with terrors. Now here's what he's saying. He said, I looked and when I just looked at it without considering the fact that there is a hereafter, he said, it really bothered me. But when I went to God's house, I understood how their feet are in slippery places. That in a moment of time, they step into eternity. And, and literally, he said, they're consumed with terror. The most, the most dreadful thought that could ever enter a person's mind enters their mind when they think, I have died and I have gone to hell. And so literally, here Solomon finishes his proverb, his saying, and he says, for surely there is a hereafter. Surely there is a hereafter. He said, and your hope will not be cut off. He said, there really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And, and I know people say, well, I can't believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. You have to understand that the only reason you know that God is a loving God is because the Bible says he's a loving God. But he is not just a loving God. He is a just God. He's just. And it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that you have also planted eternity in the hearts of men. And people, people know on the inside that there is more than just this life that we're living. God has put eternity in our hearts. And you may have heard me say this before, but as a human being, you're a hybrid being. You, you function in two different worlds in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, it says, May the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God originally made man in the Garden of Eden, it says that he breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul or an immortal soul. Now, this may bother some of you, but if you have a pet, a dog, a horse, how many know they have a personality? There, there is, to some extent, there is a soul and there's a body. But what God did to Adam when he breathed into him, he breathed spirit into him and his soul was connected to his spirit. And at that point, he became immortal. Now, to be immortal means you have a beginning, but you will never have an ending. You will live someplace forever and ever and ever. To be eternal, which God is, means you never had a beginning and you never have an ending. As a, as a human being, you had a beginning, but you will never have an ending. But we operate in two worlds. We live in a physical body, and so we can operate in this natural world. In fact, with your physical body, you contact the natural world. But you are a spirit, and with your spirit, you contact the spiritual world. So we are, we're a hybrid. Angels, they're just spirits. Animals, 
They simply can contact this natural realm. But the way God created people is that they were a hybrid able to function in two different worlds completely. He said, surely there is a hereafter. Now, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about a subject that really is very often ignored even in Christian circles. And that's what happens when you die. What happens when you die? It's in Acts 7, verse 60. They are, they are literally stoning Stephen to death. And he says, Lord, don't charge him with this sin. And when he had said this, it says that he fell asleep. Now, what happened was his body died. And the Bible refers to that as your body sleeping. But the real you that lives on the inside steps out. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Jesus actually, so to speak, he takes the veil that keeps us from understanding what happens at death. And he, he, he just makes this huge rip in it and lets us look inside. And in Luke chapter 16, in verse 19, this is what Jesus said. He said, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, this is not just a parable. In parables, Jesus doesn't talk about certain men and give men names in their parables. And he says, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, I want you to notice that when the rich man died, the Bible tells us angels carried him. Now, the local people would have taken his body and buried it in a pulper's tomb. But when the body dies, in fact, James chapter two, the last verse says this. It says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So what death really is, is death is when your spirit that lives on the inside steps out of your body. Now, what brings you to that point can be painful. It might be an accident, something could happen that brings you to that point where your spirit steps out of your body. But all that death is, is separation. It's the spirit leaving the body. So Lazarus dies, his spirit steps out. The Bible says the angels carried him. Now the real you is the spirit. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Now, Paul calls his body it. You are not your body. You live inside your body. Your body is it. Your body is the house that the real you that lives on the inside of your body is living in. Now, I don't want to say that your body is not important because it is. Your body is your earth suit. And you can only stay on earth as long as you have one. You, you, you know, it dies, you have to leave. It's appointed for a man to die once, the Bible says. And after that, the judgment. So that means a couple of things. First of all, it's appointed for a man to die once. That means that you do not die and come back as your neighbor's cat. 
Now, you would be surprised the number of people that think they're going to come back and some, some, there's going to be reincarnated in some other form. It's not going to happen. It's appointed for a man to die once, and after that, the judgment. That also means nobody sticks around to haunt houses. Because it's appointed for a man to die once, and after that, the, the judgment. You can't stay around. When your body wears out, you're going to leave this earth. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lazarus died. They put his body in a pauper's tomb. But when the real Lazarus stood up, angels carried him. And when a person dies, angels instantly grab that person and take them to one of two locations. They're either going to be in a place that the Bible referred to as paradise, or they're going to be in a place of torment. So he's full of sores. He desires to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So where he went, he went to a place that was referred to in the Bible as Abraham's bosom, simply meaning you have a place next to Abraham. It's also called paradise in the Bible, and it's also called captivity in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is where righteous people in the Old Testament went, and they waited for the Messiah. They couldn't go to heaven because their sins hadn't been paid for. But when Jesus arose from the dead, Ephesians 4 says that he led captivity captive and he took a train of captives. He took them up to heaven. He emptied that place out. And that's why today to be absent from the body is not to be present with Abraham. It's to be present with uh, the Lord, the Lord. So the rich man dies as well and he's buried. I'm sure that they, they gave him the finest ceremony, great headstone, whatever the custom of the day was. But being in torment in Hades, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Lazarus afar off, Abraham's side. And he cries out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he tip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in torment in this flame. And Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, father, you'd send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, but one rise from the dead. Think about that. Now, the beggar dies, he's carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies, and in Hades, he lifts up his eyes. And he sees Abraham and Lazarus afar off. And he cries out. And he's literally, he's asking for mercy. And may I just say that this is the one place in the universe that there is no, there is no mercy. There is mercy for any person as long as you live. As long as you live. So the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says where a tree falls, there it will lie. Whether to the north or to the south. Now, it's not talking about trees. It's talking about people. 
that when someone dies instantly, you're sealed for all of eternity. You're either going to be right with God or not right with God. So many people think, I'll die and, and I'm going to negotiate. I'll, I'll, I'll figure things out. I'll talk to God about how sorry I am and I need another chance. But once you die, it's too late. Now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that because you live in a flesh and blood body, it says he himself, Jesus, partook of the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. And he does not give aid or salvation to angels, but he does to the seed of Abraham. Now, this is what it means. You live in a flesh and blood body, and Jesus came in a flesh and blood body just like yours. And he paid for your sin in that flesh and blood body. And you can only receive what he has for you as long as you live in that flesh and blood body. Once you die, it's too late. That's why there's no salvation for angels. How many know some of the angels fell? And they would love to have some salvation. But there is none for them because there are, sp there are spirits only. But you can be redeemed because you live in a flesh and blood body. But you can only receive what Jesus did for you with his flesh and blood body as long as you live in a flesh and blood body. So here he's asking for mercy, but he's asking too late. You know, hours before. Yeah. Yeah. He could have had mercy. But he said, let Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue from in torment in this flame. Now, the Bible says that they buried him. So his body is in a grave. It's in a tomb. But it also says that he lifted up his eyes, that he saw Lazarus and he recognized him. And he wanted Lazarus to just put the tip of his finger in some water and put it on his tongue because he's in torment. I want you to listen. First Corinthians chapter 15 says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, angels are spirits. Hebrews chapter one says so. But angels have bodies, but they're not physical bodies. God is a spirit. John four. Jesus said God is a spirit. I remember that verse. Does God have a body? Go like this. Because Moses said, show me your glory. God said, well, look, I'm going to put you in a cave. I'm going to put my hand over and I'm going to pass by and then I'll take my hand away. You can see my back. Does God have a body? Yeah. Is it a physical body? No. It's a spiritual body. So, so you live in a physical body, but your spirit also has a body. And it's got two eyes. It's got a tongue. I mean, look, look. he said, let him put the tip of his finger in water. How many know if you have a finger, you have a hand? If you have a hand, you have an arm. If you have an arm, it's on a torso. And he, he, he lifts up his eyes. Now, if you've got eyes, how many know you've got a head? And if you've got a tongue, you've got a mouth. Your physical body looks like, excuse me, your spiritual body looks like your physical body. And it's able to perceive pain the same way that a physical body is. So he's in torment. And he says, uh, send him over. But, but these places are permanent. They're permanent in the sense that if you die right with God, you're going to be right with God for, for eternity. But if you die destitute away from God, then the exact same thing is true. It's, 
It's not something you can change. You can only change it in this lifetime. In fact, the Bible talks about the false prophet, the beast, the devil. They're thrown into the lake of fire where they'll be in torment day and night for ever and ever, ever and ever. Uh, and this, this man, he's concerned about his family. And he said, Abraham, send him to my father's house. I've got five brothers. Now, you've probably heard people say this. They said, well, I just assume go to hell. All my friends are going to be there. We're going to party. This man, he's experiencing the torments. And you know what? He says, I don't want anybody I know coming here. He's the exact opposite. He said, I want, I want someone to warn them. And, and um, hell is referred to in the Bible as the bottomless pit. And what it refers to is this. Uh, you, you've probably had, have you ever been, been, been like dreaming and in your dream you fall? And you're like, come on, wave at me, all you people that don't know. Yeah, okay. For us, you don't, you're, you're weird. <laughs> but, but, but hell is a continual sensation of falling. It is, it is the loneliest place in the universe. It's a, it is an abiding place, but, but there is no peace in that place. It's a place of regret. It's a place of torment. Jesus said that the worm never dies. It's a place of sorrow. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 22 says, the sorrows of hell, they encompass me. It's the place of regret. It was not made for people. The Bible says in Matthew 25, 41, that Jesus said, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't a place prepared for people. However, if you're not right with God, you, you, heaven would not be heaven if you're not there, if you were there. This is the only other place that you can go. And he cries out and he's wanting this mercy and he says, you know, there, there just isn't any for you. And he says, my brothers. And he says, no. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, some people think the rich man was in hell because he was rich. He wasn't in hell because he was rich. Abraham was rich. Isaac was rich. Daniel was rich. Solomon was rich. David was rich. In fact, one day David gave an offering of $1.5 billion. How many think that's pretty rich? Rich guy. They weren't there. This man was not there because he was rich. Here's why he was there. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He's there because when he said, they've got the Bible, let them go to the Bible, he said, no. He said, no. He said, but if one rises from the dead, they'll believe. And I think we love what Abraham said, though one rise from the dead, they won't believe. How many know Jesus has risen? He has risen. So there is a hell to shun. The Bible says, surely there is a hereafter, but there is a heaven to embrace. There's a heaven to receive, a place of eternal joy, a place of perfect health where every man has a six pack. Not of beer, but of like, you know, a six pack. My grandsons are all telling me how they've got six packs these days, you know, my little grandsons. Jesus said, in my father's house, 
are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a philosophical concept. It's not a figment of the imagination or a religious abstract or a sentimental dream. It is a real place. It is populated with people. The Bible tells us that it has real gates. It has real streets that people travel on. It has buildings. God lives there. Revelation 21, I saw a new atmosphere, a new earth. The first atmosphere and earth had passed away. There was no more sea. And then he says that he saw the new Jerusalem, God's city, come down out of heaven and come to earth. And I mentioned this this morning. Heaven is not going to be in some far off place. It is paradise regained. When you see, God says, I'm going to bring my city down. He said, there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow. There's going to be no more regret. There's going to be no more death. He's going to wipe away every tear. And he said, I will make all things new. Revelation 21 is a, is a picture of what, what man had in Genesis chapter 2. There's going to be a restoration of all things. There, there has been a several thousand year gap. But God is bringing back his original plan, as it says in the Bible, the restoration. It's the restoration. It's going to be the most beautiful, magnificent place. The Bible talks about flowers and streams and hills and mountains. In fact, Hebrews 1 just calls it a better country. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this earth as it is. And it's cursed. But there's going to be a new one, an improved one that's not cursed. Uh, J Jesus called it his father's house. John said that that holy city, it came down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, some people think, well, you know, you're just kind of talking some, some pie in the sky stuff here. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, in the third verse, that he who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. You know, when you understand that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, that they are real places and that they're not temporary, that they're eternal. The Bible says when you understand Jesus is coming again, he's coming to rule and reign. He's coming to judge. And there is a heaven and there's a hell. It says when you understand that, it says you purify yourself. It says you change the way that you live. Now, let me just just close with an, an Old Testament example of this. In Genesis chapter 5, there's the story of Enoch. It says that Enoch was 65 years old and he had a son and he named him Methuselah. Now, it appears that Methuselah, when he was born, God visited his father and God gave Enoch a vision and he saw a judgment come to the earth. He saw the flood that was going to come. Now, in the New Testament, in the book of Jude, he prophesies again. It says, and Enoch prophesied about these also. And he's prophesying the return of Jesus and Jesus executing judgment on the ungodly. But he says this is his second prophecy. His first one had to do with the flood of Noah's day. 
So he's 65. He has a son and he has a vision and he sees God judge the earth with a flood. And God tells him when your son dies, judgment will fall. So he names him Methuselah, which means at your death, judgment will fall. How many like that for a name? I mean, like nobody's going to mess with you. All right. Everybody's going to be like, we got to we got to be good to this guy. All right. Now, here's what here's here's the here's the interesting thing. Then the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch was not because God took him. So he's just walking with God. And one day, God said, it's time to go home. And I think we're closer to my house than yours. And he took him to heaven. And he's still there. He's still there. But he has two prophecies that are in the Bible. One says that when his son dies, Methuselah, judgment will fall. Now, the second one is when Jesus returns with all the saints. In fact, the Bible says 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 of the saints come with him to execute judgment on the ungodly who have committed ungodly things in ungodly ways. And it just goes on. That's his second prophecy. But I want you to focus on the first one. So at his death, judgment will fall. Methuselah just gets keep getting older. He gets to be 900 years old. And God says, I want to give people more time to repent. He gets to be 950 years old. And God says, we're going to give people more time to repent. He gets to be 960 years old. And God says, I want to have mercy. Give people more time. 965. God says, let's have mercy. 966. Let's have mercy. 967. Let's give them more time to repent. 968. God says, give him more time to repent. 969 years. He lived longer, the Bible says, than any person ever lived. Because God does not rejoice in judgment. God rejoices in mercy. He just kept on giving people more time and more time and more time and more time. Now, here's the interesting thing. He dies, the flood falls, just like that. Boom. He dies, the flood came. You can run the genealogy. Thousands and thousands of theologians have done it. They all come up with the same thing. Methuselah dies, judgment falls. But here's interesting. For a hundred years before that, Noah is building an ark. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just building, he was preaching. He kept on telling people, Judgment's coming. You need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. God wasn't just waiting and hoping that something was going to happen. There were, that Noah was preaching and preaching and preaching to his generation. Finally, God said, it's enough. It's enough. And for every one of us, when the Spirit of God is speaking to us, the Bible says, don't harden your heart like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. We can say yes, we can surrender, or we can say no. But every time you say no, your heart gets a little harder, and it gets harder to say yes to God the next time. There's never a day as easy to get right with God as today. Never will be. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 
Because when we say no to God, we harden our heart. But when we say yes to God, our heart just gets softer and softer. It's like the sun. You take clay and it hardens it. But if you put wax in the sun, it melts. And when we say yes to God, our hearts become like that wax and it melts in the presence of the Lord. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Again, culture says good people go to heaven. The Bible says that it is forgiven people that go to heaven. That everyone's welcome, that everyone gets in the same way, that every single person can meet the requirements. Now this is what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He's saying that all of the efforts that any person can, can do, all the good things they can do can never save them. Not yours, not mine. But there's just one way, and Jesus said he is the way. So he said you must be born again. What that means is this, you need to receive him. John chapter 1, verse 12, says to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It is not enough to know about him. Most of us know, we've, we celebrated Christmas and Easter. You know about God. But salvation isn't about your head. Salvation is about your heart. And the question is, have you given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life? He's not a thief to steal it or a manipulator to trick you into giving it to him. And if you have not given him all of your heart and all of your life and received him as your king and your Lord, then you're not where you should be with God. The Bible says know that you have everlasting life. And if you don't know you're right with God, you don't know you're forgiven, know you're on your way to heaven, you're not where you should be. So I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment. When I say three, we're going to pray and God's going to meet you right here in this place. When you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying to God, I want you to listen. You're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Two, as you lift that hand, you're saying, today by faith, Jesus is going to come into my life. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside. My past is going to be gone. I'm going to be a part of God's family today and forever. Three, just lift it up. Say, pray with me. Pray with me. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Pray with me. Not right. I want to get right today. All right. Everybody, please just take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your hand towards heaven. Let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I thank you that you've heard my prayer that I give all of my life to Jesus. I hold nothing back. I thank you that you blood washed me from my sin, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. Amen.